It's good to see all of you. Thank you, Viv. Thank you um, to the worship team and everybody that was here early to practice that we could just worship God freely. Um, it's really good to worship with you guys. I was speaking to a friend of mine, and she couldn't go to her church this morning, and she was just gutted, like just so sad that she couldn't. Her son is sick, and she couldn't go to church, and that's how I feel when I can't be here with you. Um, so it's just, oh, thank you. It's just really good to be here with you and worship our God that deserves all the praise. Amen? So I had a pretty good week this week. Anybody else had a pretty good week? Ooh, not a good week. Some, some people had a good week. Um, after speaking to um, some friends who are parents of mine, um, not parents of mine, some friends of mine who are parents, uh, I realized just how good my week was. I went to drop off my daughter Jade at school on Friday and I passed by a friend in the corridor whose wife just had their second child and so I asked, oh, how, how's everything going? How is she, is the baby stabilizing? And he turns with a very exhausted face and he says, baby's okay, but our son had an ear infection and an eye infection, so he's home all week. It was actually the worst week ever. So I was like, ooh, sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, God bless you. I hope things pan out better. Uh, and then another friend of mine who I was speaking to, her son um, was down with chicken pox. And so next thing I'm turning to Ruben, like, we're having a great week. <laughs> like a few sleepless nights with, with Sky here and there, but I mean, overall, it's a pretty good week. And so... Speaking to my friend, though, whose son has chicken pox, um, got me thinking, because she asked, have your girls ha had chicken pox yet? And I said, no. <laughs> and it got me thinking, when would be a good time for them to have chicken pox? Like, I mean, they're going to get it. They have to get it. If I want them to be to grow into healthy adults and for their immune system to grow stronger, then they're going to get chicken pox. But when, let me be strategic about this. When would be a good time? And so I started thinking, well, now would not be a good time. It's quarter four, organizations where we're, we have the Lisbon Project, we're wrapping up reports, planning for next year. This is not a good time for me not to be at work. And then I thought, maybe Christmas. Christmas would be a good time because, you know, sl work slows down and they can, they can be down with chicken pox. But then it's Christmas. Who wants to have chicken pox on Christmas? It's like, no, that's not a good time. Maybe the beginning of the year, you know, January, February, everything's kind of slow. But then who wants to start their year with chicken pox? And the conclusion that I came to is that it will never be a good time for chicken pox, right? It will never be a good time. And to be honest, I'm a little afraid of when that day comes because it's unpredictable. I don't know when it's going to come. It could just get me at any point. Um, I don't know how my kids are going to react. I don't know how they're going to react to just the symptoms that come with it. I don't even know. Is it fever? I don't know what kind of symptoms come along with chickenpox. One of my cousins still has scars from when she had chickenpox, and so I, I'm, I'm afraid that, that that will happen to my kids. I'm afraid of, of the unpredictability of what if they have chickenpox when we're like meant to be going to a wedding the next day, or meant to be traveling on holiday to Brazil. Who knows? <laughs> so I'm a little afraid, and... And yet I know that it's going to happen. I know that at some point, if I want the best for them, it's going to happen. And it just got me thinking how it is never a good time to go through hardships. And I've said this before, but this is true from all of you, 100% of you. You're either coming out of a hardship, you're either going through a hardship right now, or you're about to step into a hardship. Life only has these three options. Because it is never a good time to go through hardships, but we know that we will face them. It is not if we have trouble, it is when 
we have trouble. Jesus says in John 16:33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. I hate to start a Sunday morning like this, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Trouble sounds scary to me. And if you're a human like me, maybe you can relate. Maybe it sounds scary to you too because we're not just talking about chicken box. We're not just talking about hypothetical trouble. We're talking about real pain, real suffering, real loss. My aunt this morning just sent us a text that her father passed away this morning. Real desperate situations, real conflict, real depression, real sadness. Dina spoke last week about David and how at one point his son, his own son was pursuing him to kill him. Man, talk about trouble. And so fear starts to creep in. And regarding what you are facing and regarding what you are yet to face, and if you've been here for the past couple of weeks, we are in this message series called Fearless, and I'm, I'm ending, I'm wrapping up this series this morning. But fear will take over your thoughts completely, begging you to do whatever you can to avoid trouble, telling you, don't, don't do this, and don't say yes to that invitation, and don't serve a little more, and don't love a little more, and don't forgive a little more, and don't give yourself to that relationship a little more. Fear will beg you to avoid trouble, and it will lie to you that if you have failed, and if you find yourself in trouble, then God must not be with you. And I want to tell you this morning that God is with you. Here's the good news on a Sunday morning. You will face trouble, but God is with you. Can you say, God is with me? Reuben said a couple weeks ago that if there's one line that you should hold on from the Bible, it is, I am with you. God is with you in the mountaintop of joy, and God is with you in the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know what you are facing this morning, but God is with you. And the problem you are facing, whether it's sickness, whether it's a relationship, whether it's, it's just your future, whether it's your children that are going through some things, whatever it is, the problem that you are facing is not evidence of the absence of God's presence. The problem that you are facing does not prove that God is not with you. Rather, it will make you seek his power to be reminded of his promise. It will make you seek his power. The problem that you are facing will make you seek his power to be reminded of his promise. What promise? I am with you. What promise? If God is for us, who can stand against us? What promise? This is what God says to you right now, this morning. Hear it from God. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burnt up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You know what made us start this message series? Ruben and I were sitting down and we were talking just in our living room, sitting on our couch, and we were talking and this question came up. What would a fearless church look like? 
What would a fearless church look like? Like a church that knows all about trouble, but is not consumed by fear, is not limited, is not restricted by doubt and insecurity. A church that would know the God that we are serving and boldly speak the words of David. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? When I am afraid, in God I trust, and I am not afraid. What would this church look like? This church that knows all about persecution, that knows all about conflict, that knows all about trouble, that knows all about the things that you lack and the things that you are not, but a church that puts their trust in God and is not afraid. What would this church look like? I feel like it would look a little different than what we are today. What would your life look like if you were not afraid? If when you are afraid, you would put your trust in God and not be afraid. Man, I loved this morning. I loved how we, we, we just saw new faces in the worship team. We saw Viv standing up and leading worship for the first time at Riverside. Can we give her a round of applause? Praising God. And really, I'm not even applauding you. I'm applauding the Christ that lives in you and that you would give him space to work in your life. That we had new people on sound and new people on multimedia that, hey, maybe that's not what they're so good at. They didn't know how to do it before. But when they are afraid, they put their trust in God. And God, if this is what you want me to do to advance your kingdom, then here I am. What would a fearless church look like? And I love our church. And I love who we are today, and I'm proud of the praise that we are giving God today. But I want our church to be increasingly fearless for the Lord. And a few weeks ago, I started a message on Elijah, and I gave you this whole introduction. And then I made a plot twist, and I started talking about friendships, which had nothing to do with Elijah. And I made a promise that I would come back and talk about Elijah and today I'm not going to talk about Elijah, <laughs> but I'm getting a little closer. I'm going to talk about Elisha, his protege. So we're going to open in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. And maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe it's familiar, maybe it's not. But it says, When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, We will mobilize our forces at such and such place. But immediately Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Aramans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? Who's the mole? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king demanded, so I can send troops to seize him. Before the CIA ever learned how to bug a bedroom, Elisha was years ahead on intelligence strategies. Like he's basically hearing what the enemy is strategizing militarily. He's hearing from God and he's telling Israel, look, don't go there because they're about to attack you. He was being used by God to protect Israel by revealing the plans of the enemy. And the enemy got fed up. <laughs> The king of Aram demands to know who's betraying me. Like, I know your faces. I know who's I'm talking to. How does the enemy know what's going on? And the officers say, it's not us. 
It's Elisha. It's this man of God. Even the words you say in your bedroom, he knows about. And so notice, notice what the king says. When he finds out that it's Elisha, he says, go and find him so I can send special troops to seize him. Now, Elisha is just being obedient to God's call on his life. Elisha is just using the gifts that God has given him to fulfill the will that God has for his life. He, he, and guess what happens? He becomes a problem for the enemy. When you step into the call of God for your life, when you die to yourself so that God can become greater in you, when you surrender your will so that God's will can be done, when you seek first the kingdom of God, when your life is all about bringing the hope and the love and the life of Jesus, guess what happens? You become a problem for the enemy. Can we say, I'm a problem? You're going to come out of here today and you're going to be, I'm a problem. The word says that the devil is a thief that has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And so when you step into obedience to Jesus, the one that has come to give us life and life abundant, when you start becoming a peacemaker, when you become merciful, when you become forgiving and loving and gracious, not for your own glory, but for the glory of God, you become a problem for the enemy. Jesus was a problem for the enemy. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led into the wilderness. He's preparing himself to radically change the world forever through his three-year ministry that would one day culminate, culminate in his death and resurrection. Guess who else showed up at the desert? The devil. Jesus was a problem. The enemy shows up at the desert while Jesus is praying and preparing himself and fasting in the wilderness, and, and the devil tries to tempt him. The devil, the devil stops, tries to stop him and speak lies into his life. And when Jesus places his trust in the promises of God, the Bible says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Oh man, he's coming back. Because Jesus was a problem for the enemy. Is our church a problem for the enemy? Are you living out your calling in such a way? Are you living in radical obedience to God? Are you using the gifts that God has given you, not bearing them under the sand like that parable that Jesus taught, but are you saying, God, here I am, send me, do whatever you want to do. If it's multimedia, I'll do it. If it's speaking to a colleague at work, I'll do it. If it's reconciling with my father that, it, that our situation is hard, I'll do it. it. Whatever it is, God. Is it using my financial resources? Is it just praying for something? God, I'll do it. I want to be a problem for the enemy because it's not about me, but it's about people. It's about their soul being reconciled with God. Just use me. Are you a problem for the enemy? Are you bringing the abundant life of Christ to those around you? I want us to be a problem for the enemy. And the Christmas is coming up. It's a time where people's hearts are just a little bit more open to hearing the gospel. And I want our church to shout the good news. I don't want to be shy about it. I don't want to be timid about my faith. I want to tell people, hey, if you see anything good in me, it's because of the Christ that I serve. I want you guys to shout out the Christ that you serve so that many may be saved by God's grace, so that the same joy, the same peace, the same love that you have from God, that others may have it too. 
See, sometimes we face so much resistance, so much trouble, that we just want to give up. We get tired. We get exhausted. But may I suggest this morning that the bigger the trial, the bigger the calling on your life, and the bigger the impact that God wants to have in and through you for the glory of his name. You see, when Elisha wakes up the next morning, he's completely surrounded by the enemy. This is what it says in verse 5. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. I can just imagine Elisha standing there with his servant, praying, God, just open his eyes so that he may see your presence. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. His servant naturally reacts with fear, but Elisha responds with faith. If you give somebody medication or if, if a doctor prescribes medication to my daughter and I say, oh, she's reacting to the medication, that sounds pretty bad. It sounds that it's, it's not having a good effect. But if I say she's responding to the medication, then something is working in her life. And I don't want to react with fear to the problems in my life. I don't want to react with fear to the challenges and the obstacles and the enemy that is surrounding me. I want to respond in faith in the same way that Elijah does. You see, faith, George Campbell Morgan, he says, faith is never the imagining of unreal things. I'm not telling you to live in denial. I'm not telling you to just close your eyes and say, oh, the enemy is not there. The problem is not there. My situation is really not as bad as it seems. No, it's bad, probably. <laughs> it is bad, as bad as it seems. And, and the enemy is there. But faith is never the imagining of unreal things. It is the grip of things which cannot be demonstrated to the senses, but which are real. The chariots of horses and fire were actually there. And so Elisha prays that God would open the eyes of the servant to see the actual reality of the situation. A woman once asked her pastor, Pastor, should I pray about just the little things in my life or the big things? And the pastor kind of just laughed and he asked her, do you really think that anything is big for our God? You see, you have to have your eyes open to see the reality of your situation, that your problem might seem like it's surrounding you, but God says, I am with you, and he is greater than your problem, and nothing is too impossible, nothing is too difficult, nothing is too challenging. Our God is with you. Man, if this doesn't inspire you this morning, if this doesn't motivate you, if this doesn't challenge you to live more radically for his glory, then I don't know what else does, because our God is with you. And perhaps this morning you feel surrounded, like your problem is so big, and like the servant, you feel afraid, but I want to encourage you. With the steps that Dina gave us last week, pray your fears to God. And remember who you are in God, and hold on to his promises. Remember that the problem will make you seek his power, so you are reminded of his promises. Shortly after Jesus comes back from the desert and he begins his ministry, he walks into the temple where he's from and he references Isaiah chapter 42. He picks up the scroll and this is what he reads. 
I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and be a light to the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. We read it in Luke chapter 4 what exactly Jesus says, but he's referencing Isaiah chapter 42. He's saying Jesus has come to open the eyes of the blind. I pray, will open your eyes this morning to see the actual reality of your situation. I pray that he will open your eyes so that you will respond with faith like Elisha, to see the power and the faithfulness of God in your life. And so just as I am closing our message series today, so Paul was also closing his remarks. I'm switching, changing gears here from Elisha to Jesus to Paul. Stay with me. But Paul was closing his remarks to the church of Ephesus in the book of Ephesians. And he had spoken all about, you know, what it's like, how he wants them to live a godly life. And he had encouraged them to love one another in this unity, but he knew that it would not be easy. He knew the hardships that were ahead of them. He knew of the enemy's existence. And so as he ends, we read his ratio in Ephesians chapter 6. This week I decided to ask Dina, who is doing his seminary, you're laughing already, uh, who's doing his seminary studying theology, and so I asked him, Dina, I need some resources, can you help me? Which, which resources do you usually use to, to prep your messages? And so he says, oh, I have this whole library with my university. I said, oh, that's cheating. No, no wonder. And so I said, well, I need access to your university's library. Can you give me some, um, some resources on Ephesians chapter 6? And so he sends me, and I learned a new word this week, ratio. Had anybody heard of that? No? Well, we all learned. Just Dina. <laughs> Pastor Dina. So a ratio, basically what Paul is doing here at the end in, in Ephesians, um, is a concluding rhetorical part of ancient speeches and it's meant to inspire enthusiasm in his audience. It's kind of like a pre-game speech that a coach would give. You know, we've done the practice, we've, we've talked about tactics, but now I just want to inspire you. Now I just want to just say this one last thing before you go out. And so this is what Paul is doing in his letter to the Ephesians. He knows his audience. He knows of the hardships and of the fear that so easily creeps in. He knows of the reality of Luke chapter 21 that says men's hearts will fail them to, for fear and for looking upon those things which are coming on the earth. He knows his audience. And so he sets up this vivid picture of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Now this is something that would have been very familiar to his audience back then, and if any of you have Netflix, HBO, or any of these platforms, you can easily picture this too. This hand-to-hand -hand combat that Paul begins describing in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Though hardship come our way, as a church, we do not have to flee. We do not have to be afraid. We can stand firm in the strength and in the power of the Lord. Now notice how he begins by explaining the nature of the battle that we are in. It's not against people. 
It's not against those annoying colleagues of yours. <laughs> it's not against your family members. It's not against the people that seem to be out to get you. He says it's not against flesh and blood. We are in a spiritual battle. And you need to understand that if you are going to use the right armor and the right weapons. Self-confidence isn't going to get you far. Motivational speeches, self-help books, friends that tell you the answer is within is not going to sustain you. When David puts himself up for fighting Goliath, he says, here, I know the God that is with me. God is with me. He has that one-liner with him and he puts himself, you know, Goliath looks big, but I'll fight him. And what happens is that the king of Israel, Saul, he proceeds to give him his armor. And now this would have been the best armor in all of Israel, but it just didn't fit. And David knew the nature of the battle he was going into, and so he respectfully declines. So Paul says, put on the armor of God. This is an imperative command. He's not saying, come on, rile up all the gifts and the experiences and the qualifications on your CV. He says, put on the armor of God. To resist at a spiritual level, you will need the strength supplied by God. Now, I want to be clear, and Reuben said this two weeks ago. Not all the problems that we face in life are the enemy's work. He gets a lot of the blame for our stupid decisions. Sometimes we just made bad decisions. But other times, and especially in the life of the church, we have targets on our backs because we carry the love and the life of Jesus. Now, don't evacuate the building yet. We're under attack, but we can stand firm. We don't have to react in fear. We can respond in faith. This is what Paul says after he's talked about the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and all the different parts of the armor. He goes in chapter 16 and he says, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. See, when Paul's writing these verses, he found himself in prison, and so he could probably visualize a Roman soldier and see the armor that he was talking about. And I'm not sure if that soldier would have been carrying the shield that Paul is talking about, because the shield that he's talking about is not just this like round little thing you hold with your arm. It was as big as a door. The kinds of shields that were used in warfare at this time, this shield was as big as a door. It was made of wooden planks and, and made of, or, or surrounded by, or however you say that, of metal. And it was oftentimes dipped into water so that it would just put out whatever flaming arrows that the enemy would send. And so Paul says, take up your shield of faith. Without it, you can have all the armor in the world, but you will be completely vulnerable. Now notice how he's not speaking just at an individual level. He's speaking to the church collectively. And if you've ever seen movies of ancient warfare, you will have seen the soldiers standing in formation with these big, big, huge shields. Some hold it up and some hold it on the side and on the left and on the right and on the back so that they are completely defended. And because they are shielded, now this just blew my mind this, this week. Because these soldiers standing in formation are shielded, they can advance. So what would a fearless church look like? A church that is able to advance even under fire. A church that is able to advance even under fire. 
Despite the hardships, we don't have to be stuck in fear. We don't have to be paralyzed by fear. We don't have to be trying to avoid trouble and feeling like we're forsaken when we find ourselves in trouble. Together in faith, we can advance the kingdom of God even under fire. Can you say that? Even under fire. Even under the troubles and the conflict and the things that you are experiencing. Even all the, despite all that you are not. All of your mistakes. All of the, all of the insecurities that the enemy is trying to flare up. Despite all of that, we can still advance the kingdom of God with the shield of faith. Because it's not about us. It is the strength of the one who promised to be with us. But man... These flaming arrows, they need one heck of a shield. What would happen is that the enemy, now I'm visualizing all the movies I've watched, but what would happen is probably from a higher place, the enemies would send arrows and they'd be on fire and the hope is that they would catch something flammable. And so the shield of that soldier or that soldier himself or something would catch fire. And in the same way, we all have lusts within us that are so easy to ignite materialism and sexual immorality and pride and vanity and self-love there's all kinds of trials that are thrown our way of illness tragedies persecution doubt about god's goodness and even about his existence but fear not church for every child of god defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith and who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's advance the kingdom of God through faith in the one that has promised to be with us. And so no matter what the enemy throws at us, our faith allows us to love more unconditionally, to pray for healing when there is sickness, to forgive deeply when we are deeply hurt, to honor others even when we feel insecure, to obey God's will even when the future is unknown. No matter the hardship, we can still advance if we put our faith in the one who is greater than our problem, in the one who is greater than our insecurities, in the one who is greater than our fear. When I am afraid, I put my trust in God and I am unafraid. I know that it may not feel like it today, but as Reuben preached about Gideon a couple weeks ago, Listen to God's voice this morning saying, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Who feels like a mighty warrior this morning? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Step into your calling. Step into the plan of God for your life. There is nothing like being at the center of God's will. Obey God no matter the odds, the hardships, the impossibilities of your problems. His power is greater and his pro promise is steadfast. I want to end, I'm going to shift gears again. I want to end by taking you to the story of a man who found the secret of staying young. Anybody found that so far? Movies about that too. The world staying young. Asian, being Asian. <laughs> that too, I don't think this guy was Asian. Um, not Filipino at least. But we wanna I wanna talk about a man named Caleb. 
And most of you know the story of the Israelites when they had left Egypt and they had been in the wilderness for about two years. And then the tribes, they all choose one representative. And, and basically you have 12 men that are called out to go and spy the land of Canaan. And when they come back, 10 out of the 12 spies come back with a terrible report. Because all they can do is focus on the challenge and the problem and the giants. They say, yeah, yeah, there, there's fruit and it is everything that God promised. But there are these giants and it is impossible and, and fear is contagious. And so by the end of the night, all of Israel was weeping with fear. The Bible says that all of Israel was weeping. But the Bible says that Caleb and Joshua, two out of the 12 spies, they came back with a completely different attitude. Yes, the problem was big, but the Lord was with them. If you read these chapters, Caleb keeps saying, but the Lord, but the Lord, but God is with me. And if God is with me, and so they are unafraid by putting their trust in God. And this is what it says about Caleb. Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, Everybody say different spirit. I'm into this repetition today. Hopefully it'll stay in your mind. I don't see you taking notes, so you gotta repeat it. And follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. I want to have a different spirit. I want to see with eyes of of faith. When other people are afraid and when they're spreading a report of, of fear, I want to have a different spirit that just sees the actual reality of the situation. That sees that when I am surrounded, my God is present. And so I don't have to be afraid. You know what's really amazing about this story? 45 years later, the generation of Israelites had all passed away and only Caleb and Joshua remain. And now they're ready, they're entering the promised land and they're still filled with giants and problems and challenges and everything that was scary that the people described before. But listen to what Caleb says to Joshua. Now then, just as the Lord promised, imagine two friends speaking to one another. Caleb says to Joshua, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Age has nothing on Caleb. Imagine an 85-year-old man ready to go into battle just as he was when he was 40. Because his trust was never in his own strength anyway. He was just as believing, just as trusting. And because of it, even in his old age, he can keep conquering. For those of you who are young, have a different kind of spirit. Trust that God is bigger and spread a report of faith among people around you. For those of you who are getting older, and I'm not going to look at anybody. Age has nothing on you. It's not time to hold back. It's not time to sit down. I've heard a whole lot of older people say, I'm just going to sit back because now it's time for the younger generation. And it sounds nice, but it's not biblical. It's not time to hold back. By faith, you are just as strong today as you were in the past. And God is not done with you. 
Keep advancing the kingdom of God. I want to call the worship team up. Please. <laughs> Praise God. Church, are you a problem for the enemy? Elisha was a problem because he was effective in the gifts that God gave him. He used them for the glory of God. Jesus was a problem because he was Jesus and because he was fully surrendered to the will of the Father no matter what. Paul was a problem because even in prison, he kept singing the praises of God. He kept writing and encouraging the church. He kept praying and blessing. Caleb was a problem because he just kept believing. He just kept trusting that God would use him, that God was faithful to his promises. Each one of them encountered difficulty, difficulty that maybe I've never encountered in my life. Each of them encountered trials and hardships and conflict and hurt and betrayal, but each of them held on to the promises of God. Each of them sought the power of God. And when they were afraid, they trusted. What would a fearless church look like? I wanna invite us to stand this morning and we're gonna sing, I asked the worship team if we would sing this, this song. This is how we fight our battles. We fight our battles not in our own strength, not with the armor that the world tries to put on you that just doesn't fit. We fight our battles in praise to the one who is stronger. We fight our battles by surrendering. Imagine that. The world sees that as weak. But the world also saw the cross as defeat. And yet the cross was the greatest victory as three days later, Jesus raised from the dead, bringing life and reconciliation to our creator. Will you just surrender? Will you fight your battle this morning by surrendering to God? What would a fearless church look like? Fearless church, we would be serving like never before. We would be ministering like never before. We would be evangelizing like never before. We would be praying for God's presence to be revealed to people in our lives like never before. We wouldn't fit in these walls. And I'm not about the number. I'm not about what the world sees. I'm about people being saved. I want us to be a fearless church and I want to ask God this morning, God, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I'm not enough, when my pride is taking over, when I just don't want to forgive, when I just don't want to talk to that person, when I just don't want to fight for unity anymore, when the loss is too great, when the sadness is too overwhelming, God, I surrender to you. Because in faith, we can advance under fire we can still be the hands and feet of God to a hurting world that needs him. We want to fight our battles by surrendering, knowing that the enemy might be surrounding us, but our God is present and our God is greater.